welcome to the Wise Men Say podcast. I would like to say it's a reaction to the Grimsby game in, in the Checker Trade Trophy. Not Checker Trade Trophy, the, the Leasing.com Trophy. Uh, that was the voice of Michael Lufse. Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. And I'm with Craig Clark as well. Hello. I think that you can. The one good thing was, or a couple of good things, but especially Greg scoring. I know it was a pathetically limp game despite the five goals but he needs that doesn't he he needs a goal and I think it'll do him the world of good and I think he was appreciated as well at the end of the game when he sort of came off I thought it was nice for him to get a moment like that might boost his confidence he had some nice touches in the game I thought actually um, and he was finding himself in sort of positions in the width of the box um, a bit more sort of like around the six and he obviously scored his goal from within the six yard box yeah I kind of went full dar after it went in because there were these dars who were sat around me who were just slagging them off all game and then when, it, when he scored I turned around and shouted I'd like to see Charlie fucking White do that <laughs> so well, that was my kind of like meltdown moment of the game but yeah it was good to see him get the goal and it was really cool and composed the way he took it as well um, which is good to see obviously and hopefully he can kick on now and get a bit of a run in the team you get some unusual characters at the game sometimes. The checker trade ones, I don't know, there was a man just shouting, uh, just stop that. trying to walk it in um, <laughs> when we were on the wing. Um, and it was like, but repeatedly, it was like, well, he's not going to shoot from there, mate. Like, it's not going to happen. But anyway. Yeah, I think the only other things to, to really take from the game was obviously the defending for both goals was pretty appalling. Generally, throughout the game, I didn't think we looked very composed at the back, but you would say... There was two kids, one of whom plays most of his football, well, generally played most of his football in midfield, but has actually been playing at right-back for the under-23s and did start his career at right-back in Mumbai. To me, not a right-back, doesn't look comfortable there. And the lad next to him was almost smaller than him at centre-back, Brandon Taylor. I don't think he's going to be seen any time soon in the first team in a more meaningful game. I think he had a tough time it would be fair to say well maybe the manager could uh, work on these things during the week and oh no wait a minute he's gone that, that's the main thing we should be well, talking well, about isn't it really? oh no oh no they've gone oh nine played in three positions again left wing right wing right back and then it was just like what like you just play a winger like what? What are you? What are you? Like I know he's fit and he's enthusiastic, but like just just play a winger. Like, he definitely still gets up at like four o'clock in the morning on Christmas, doesn't he? Uh, like desperate to get downstairs and open his presents. <laughs> that's that's how enthusiastic he, he is. Chocolate his advent calendars on the first of December as well. Yeah. Just gets through them all. I yeah. think he has twenty four <laughs> advent calendars and eats the chocolates from all all of the chocolates on day per day. <laughs> a calendar a day with Lugo yeah. 9 anyway the the actual uh, situation today so it's quite mellow this isn't it the, yeah. it's like usually after the game it's like really like bustling and wherever we are um, and like obviously being the, the leasing.com trophy hasn't got that vibe but I think to, this evening it was very the game was almost like inconsequential wasn't it it was like it just had that feeling about it yeah th- these games generally as we experienced last season don't really start to have any needle until you get around the quarterfinals really you, you know arguably the semi-finals but tonight obviously with, with everything that's gone on today I mean first thing we'll talk about obviously the, the factual element of the day which is that Jack Ross has gone um, you know and I know we talked about it on, on the pod on last night on Monday 
and you know Martin McFan from Love Spring said he didn't feel as though he'd be around for the Wickham game I wasn't so sure and it was a bit bit of an odd one wasn't it Craig that he's kind of this afternoon it came out I mean we can go we can have a discussion later about why that might have happened but yeah it was a bit odd wasn't it that it came out today but well there was it was sort of mixed it was weird because wasn't there something I don't know if it was an email or something about, like about Jack Ross preparing the team for this evening's game or I don't know exactly how it was worded but like obviously there was some sort of inconsistent see there like that I'm sure that post was just scheduled and then this news happened but that did hint at the suggestion to me that it maybe wasn't you know planned as such and maybe you know they've had time to think since Saturday they've had Sunday and Monday to consider it and they've made the decision but before that it wasn't necessarily imminent is what I'm trying to say I'm not saying they've just out of nowhere just went bang he's gone but they've, they've sat on it for a few days anyway the timing did feel a bit weird with us having a game tonight but as you've said this competition is so flat especially in the group stages I think when Ross was managing us last season he almost would have been happy to give it to Jimmy Fowler to just take these games Um, so perhaps you could look at that and say it's not that odd but I don't know well obviously on on total sport you know alluding to what you, you said Craig about the you know, the fact it seemed like a bit of a surprise. You know, Jack Ross, sorry, uh, Stuart Donald was talking on, on, as I say, on Total Sport tonight. Kind of, it kind of sounded weird, like almost like they sat down and had like a meeting about the current situation, and at the end of the meeting, they decided that he should be sacked. I think actually the fact that the game is so inconsequential is actually an argument of why not just do it tomorrow then. Um. Because, just because, as you say, it, really you could have just had like any old, just a man in the dugout tonight, and I think things would have just played out kind of a way that it did. But then, as I say, where, where's the harm? Then just letting like Ross have tonight, and then you can just like do it either in the morning because you don't have to sack him on the back of a defeat. That's not compulsory because, as you say, we could have won like seventeen nil tonight, and that doesn't make his position any more secure or anything. Like that's what I say. I just think retirement is really odd unless it is kind of for a bit more of a conspiracy reason, which I'm sure we might come on to later. It wasn't Mark Hughes sacked after beating Sunderland. But wasn't it already known that he was going to get the sack before the game, no matter what happened? I can't, I can't remember. I'm sure it was a really weird thing like that, that happened. Um, when, what about Advocate? He, he finished, he played that, we played West Ham and drew twos each, but he was gone before the yeah. game pretty much, yeah. wasn't he? It was a like an odd farewell scenario, and it's not unusual for that kind of thing to happen. I think my overriding feeling was when the news was broken was it wasn't shock because I think it was almost inevitable really that he would go. I think again on Saturday <clears throat> there were elements of the support calling for him to go and when you hear that at away games, especially like one at Lincoln where it's more the hard courts and not a massive allocation, you do worry for the manager. But I did feel an overwhelming sense of sadness to be honest because he is a, from how he comes across, he might not be the most inspiring in terms of <clears throat> You know, he's not necessarily going to galvanise the support in the way some of the managers we've had do. But I thought he was very measured. I thought he was thoughtful. He was clearly intelligent. And I don't think at any point he's disrespected the Sunderland fans or the club. And I, and I, I just feel like it, yeah. it's a shame it didn't work out, yeah. basically. And that's been a common theme with, with managers towards the end in the past where you've had, like, as it gets harder and harder, it's like... It just... Everything starts as the wheels come off. This it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. And yeah, he's made some comments, but it's not been like in in previous times 
you know, where, where fans have been kind of, there's been that kind of back and forth. Remember Gus Poyet, you know, Gustavo Poyet, it's always our fault at Bradford, all that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and then the QBR game, obviously, at home under Poyet, like prime example of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we never, we never really had that with Ross. And I think, you know, we've had so many managers come through here and not take responsibility. And it's so easy when you leave a club like Sunderland, like Simon, like yeah, Simon Grayson, for example, came in. It was a difficult situation, but he couldn't wait to disown, like, the baggage as soon as he left. It was everybody else's fault, but his Coleman, to be fair, did take it on the chin. And, and Ross certainly, in, in the hardest situation, probably Sunderland manager in, in recent, or maybe of all time, you could argue. I don't know. That make you come in as well, but what would be interesting would be uh, to see what, if anything, Jack Ross has to say in the aftermath. <clears throat> I know Snick Barnes had tweeted something to the effect that as things come out of the wash, people might have a little more sympathy for for Ross because he's had a lot to deal with. I think from day one we knew he didn't even have a like a full team really turn up for training, so we know he's had stuff to deal with, but. I don't get the impression Ross would be someone who would do, be anything other than really dignified. Yeah. He's not a Paolo Di Canio. He's not going to start throwing his toys out the pram. Well, you mean he's going to manage again? Well, yeah. I mean, is the Hibs job still available? I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a good reputation up there, whether they might look at him now because they'd been rumoured to be interested anyway. But um, I don't think he will come out and, and act, you know, in anything other than a dignified manner. But he, he might make comments that make people think feel more yeah and feel more sympathetic yeah. towards him as in terms of he's, he's had a situation to manage from day one that has been tumultuous and I think as fans we all do expect to get promoted <clears throat> and the ownership expect us to get promoted and that's rightly so we're a much bigger club than League One that's totally fair but that doesn't take away from the fact he has had a lot to deal with at, at Sunderland as has everyone involved at the club to be honest it's been a crazy time for the last two three years and with that pressure that we've had you know again today the, some of the comments that have been made you know t- towards I mean I was sort of tearing my hair out a little bit on listening to that interview on Total Sports for a number of reasons um, the way it was set up in that you know and we, we we've been accused of on this show of like slagging fans off our own fans or whatever but this idea that like social media's got a like as one of the reasons why Jack Ross has been let go and all this kind of stuff, and you know the the fans being like create made the situation more difficult than it needs to be. I'm sorry, and it's it's just a, in my opinion a lot of rubbish. But I'm sure Mickey probably <laughs> articulates those things better than I do. I wouldn't be so sure, but um, I just <laughs> I mean my basic point on that would be what football fans, what set of football fans, sorry, enjoy underachieving. It doesn't matter whether you support. Um, a really small club doesn't matter if you support the biggest club in the world if you perceive yourself to be underachieving given where you think you should be you're going to be annoyed and I think with Sunderland um, and Jack Ross in particular it's not the fact that he inherited such a bad situation it was the fact he inherited that situation came out of it really well got us off to a fantastic start last season which probably actually exceeded expectation initially but then it's the longer he's been in the club and he's had the time to sort things out we've actually seen a regression and I think it's um, a little bit um, 
inaccurate to say that all oh, like the Sunderland fans like, ex- like expect this and people point the view out with games that he's lost. It's like I said on the preview pod against Lincoln at the time. He said, "Oh well, I've only lost nine games." It's like, yeah, but the games that have really mattered, you've lost. So the Czech trade final, the playoff final, we lost those games. And then, as I said, then like so many of them like were draws when we really need to win games against the likes of Appleton Stanley at home last season, and we dropped too many points. And we've just started this season in a similar vein. Well, yeah, we might have muddled along and got to the playoffs, but it just it's not good enough because it's so imperative we get out of this division that there's just the nearest opportunity. Well, as well, I think there are reasons the squad is different this season, and I'm not going to pretend those reasons don't exist. Like financially, we couldn't really necessarily support some of the wages that were on the books. However, because those players were on bigger money, they were on bigger money for a reason because there were hangovers from the Premier League years and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I think people thought, "Oh, this you know second season would have a, sort of a better situation." But in some ways, it's worse because we've lost players who are demonstrably better than this league. Now, some of them might not have performed to the best of their ability last season all of the time but certainly people like Catamore you know the kind of dressing room presence he's got <clears throat> I think as well whatever you think about Oviedo and his performances last season I think he's a better footballer than the two left backs we've currently got Hume might become a lot better thought he had a decent game tonight at times he looked alright but he has now got a, we've got a more balanced squad with depth in each position and many times you've said about variety Gareth we do lack that but we do have quality in the side but I do think it's lacking certain <clears throat> edge that we had last season so I think it isn't an impossible job by any means there's enough quality there to get us promoted automatically well, but this is who do you get thing, in to get in to do it that's the question thing is people, so there's, there's, this squad's got in this league this season maybe not last season I think no. we would have been struggling last season but this season Definitely. We definitely have the squad to get promoted automatically. Like you say, Craig, who, yeah. stand out. So who's going to be the the person? Is, is it going to be somebody who's in a role? Probably not. You know, given the situation financially, they've had to pay off somebody. If this takeover, you know, people obviously saying it's off. Obviously, Stu Donald's come out and said, "Well, no, it's actually, you know, if it was off, I'd come out and tell you because because it's still live. I'm not going to like." talk about the, the ins and outs of it although you know the ins and outs of it seem to have been talked about previously when people were very excited about it so it's a bit con- I think there's a lot of confusion around a lot of the stuff that goes on and sometimes it feels as though it's all been a little bit it's disaster sometimes it's a bit like going to like self-preservation mode sometimes and sometimes maybe it's best to just l- you know, tonight I understand why he wanted to go on, and I understand why people respect why he wants to go on the radio to like justify his decision. But sometimes, especially just maybe give it that breathing space and, and give a bit of time, because in the instant reaction, you might end up saying something that comes back to haunt you, like after the playoff final, where it's like, oh, we're next season, we want to go with 100 points, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, well, and you know, just stop going on, stop talking about budget, stop talking about, I mean, we were kind of laughing beforehand. I understand how people can sometimes say daft stuff in the heat of the moment, saying stuff like, what, well, we've got the best away transport in the league or something like that, or the best away travel plans in the league, or we're the most, we're the most professional the league, league one. Yeah, because we are in the Premier League two years ago, so obviously you inherit that. But Yeah, definitely. I just think um, one thing, though, regardless of whether the takeover is on and off, 
I think um, the manager we come in, he's got the he's got the own the expectation at the football club because I think it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. No matter what manager we get in, to come in, the first question to ask whether it's by the local major of the national, so Sunderland, massive club, huge expectation. And straight away, it's kind of on the back foot and there's this almost kind of thing about the fans versus the manager straight away before anyone's even started. And I do agree that there is a lot of expectation at this level because historically, particularly in my sort of lifetime, if you aren't in the Premier League, your, your ambition as a as Sunderland manager is to win the league. Yeah, I think it's as simple as that. I think it's regardless of um, what budget you've got, particularly in League One, we are a club which is much bigger than that. And whoever we do get in as manager needs to come in and from day one to back themselves and to own that and not to think about, oh, well, if this goes wrong, then like the fans are going to be against me. No, they're not going to. I mean, this time last year, it's almost to the day. It wasn't exactly a result which will go down now with history, but when we beat Bradford 2-1, it wasn't the greatest of performances, but we went down to 10 men. And I remember how happy we all were. We were all down that day. Like, the feeling at full time was absolutely great and the connection between the players and the fans was brilliant and you've got to think that if you give us the tiniest thing to hang on to so like get to the final of a Tim Pot, Tim Pot Cup, Cup for God's sake and we've got thousands of fans taking over to Fargo Square the night before the game it's, you've got to think of the possibilities if you get a right at this club you can't just come in with a negative mentality and think to yourself if this that, the other goes wrong you've got, you've got as I say just to have belief in your own ability to come in and think of it if you're the one that can not even take us back to the Premier League just get us out of League One and give us some memories and you, you will go down as a legend at this club you look at Dennis Smith I know he ultimately did go back to Division 1 but I think even if he hadn't he'd be remembered very fondly purely for that season with Gabbiadini scoring all the goals and stuff so as I say I think whoever we do get in there still has to be the expectation there but as I say if a manager who comes in has to carry that responsibility and take full ownership of it otherwise we're not going to be able to succeed and move forward I think you're right and to be fair to Jack Ross I think he did get it from day one he got, he got the size of the club he got like a lot of things like you come from really humble background in terms of his football background and he did get it but unfortunately it just didn't bear out on the pitch what you were expecting did it like the, the, the football he was supposed to come with this sort of style of attacking play just never really materialised did it I mean, he, was one, he was one good performance away from getting us promoted at Wembley and that, I bet you I'm not surprised I wouldn't be surprised if he had the biggest hangover of all from that from that Wembley defeat and he maybe mentally didn't maybe he's not recovered from that because I think where he's always been it's something quite considered and quite sort of like narrow minded and pig headed in his approach everything just seemed uh, this season was very like erratic and he'd be very like yes well this is what we're going to do and then like two games later we'd do something different and it like he kept on contradicting himself and the problem is when you don't win games when you're doing that the questions you, you just you just put yourself into a difficult situation I agree with what you're saying Craig but I do think even Jack Ross to a certain extent when things start to go wrong he alluded to well but that's a reality at Sunderland you've got to win every week you've got to win every game and, and I don't actually think that's a reality you don't have to but we need to see something that's shown progress and something to get behind and I think that's it like whoever we bring in we need to have some kind of like plan of how we're going to go about it because as you say, Gareth, when you are winning every week and you look as though you can finish in the top two, brilliant. But as I say, when things do start to go wrong, then if you, if you come out and make comments like that, you're just going to leave yourself open for criticism. And once you're perceived to be having a pop with the fans, even though I don't think you had a pop with us necessarily, but as soon as you start making comments such as, oh, well, you've got to win every game as Sunderland manager, it, it, it's a little bit of a nonsense, I think. It gets a little bit frustrating when actually all I want to say is just like good attacking football in this league and to be kind of... To, because, it's a, like Donald said it today on um, Total Sport, he said, 
says, oh, well, all the fans obviously want us to be 10 points clear. I'm like, no, we don't. We just want to be in the chance of automatic promotion, and to get automatic promotion, it's not you, that big an ask. Like, you don't want to be in a situation where you, where you look where you look like you're only going to win a game if Hayden McGinney's going to stick one in the top corner from 25 yards. Or, or like Chris McGuire. Or Chris McGuire's going to do something. Somebody like yeah. that. Yeah, you, you're not, it's just, exactly, you're just going to hope that some, your quality individual is just going to do something that wins you the game. You want to look like you know, you're creating chances in games, you, you know, you're, you're having, you're dominating teams from ni- for, for over the course of 90 minutes and not like giving them a sniff where far too often, especially this season, probably probably in every game, we've given every team we've played a chance well, in, in the sniff and we haven't kept a clean sheet in the league and there's a reason for that, that you know. That Lincoln game is a, <clears throat> a prime example where I, f- I thought, you know, obviously this stuff's been covered ad, ad nauseum or whatever the turn of phrases but like there's the kind of the, the team looked underprepared it didn't look like it knew what Lincoln was going to do to it so the team was set up in a way that was like well we've beaten them kids onto a completely different side to Lincoln we were at home as well and Lincoln were fast out the blocks they pressed they weren't necessarily very good but they were they pressed hard MK Dons don't play like that so suddenly that midfield combination that looked so effective with you know all the pitch to play on basically against MK Dons it didn't look good against Lincoln because they couldn't get the foot on the ball and it was at that point watching that game like at, in the, in that ground thinking he's finished because whether whether he had set them up to combat that it was just one instance too many of a manager who looked like he hadn't prepared for the opposition that was in front of him. He'd prepared thinking, almost believing in that kind of idea that we are Sunderland and we should be winning every game, so I've got enough quality here that you put it out on the pitch and it's going to win. And, and it just doesn't work like that, unfortunately. What's ultimately been a frustration with Jack Ross is a little bit of this um, expectation um, versus reality thing. So I remember when um, I'm in no way comparing to David Moyes because for a start, Jack Ross is actually like a decent bloke and Moyes, well, the less said the better. But Moyes, I remember when a lot of people kind of, well, not a lot of people, but some people didn't turn on Moyes till quite late because of a reputation he built of kind of like stability. And if you keep Moyes, you get stability. Well, stability isn't keeping a failing manager. And with Jack Ross, I think it's a, it's a similar scenario because the perception of Jack Ross from the outside was that he was a very methodical coach. And I know you hear it often when he first came in, all the local journalists were saying, "Oh, well, Jack Ross, you'll come into work at seven o'clock in the morning. He doesn't go till seven o'clock at night. He studies everything of uh, ultimate detail. He's very data-driven, statistical, like up and coming." young manager players attacking football and that's the kind of Jack Ross brand we were sold and just the longer he's been here we're not seeing it so I think that's a problem and that's why I kind of persisted with him for so long because I was like well actually all these St Mirren fans can't be wrong in saying that he's already attacked my manager all of these pundits in Scotland can't be wrong and we eventually will see that at Sunderland and maybe he's felt the need to become a bit more pragmatic but like you say the longer he was here the less of a kind of typical Jack Ross stamp we saw on the team and ultimately, when it is just so haphazard, um, you kind of do get to a point where it just got stale and it just kind of reached the end of the cycle. And it's a shame, but you just had to kind of move on, like you say, become untenable. I think, you know, it's like that episode of Father Ted where he gets the car from the dancing priest and he's uh, got to give away in the competition. He knows there's a dint in it and decides he's going to knock the dint out. And before you know it, he's destroyed the car. And it feels as though, like, that's what's happened. Like, that's, that's why we haven't seen, like, the best of the group of players that we've got because he's he's like well if I just if I just do this and if I, if I just do that 
and then it's like got the stage where now it's like you get a link in or well I felt as though he'd gone at Bolton really like yeah. you know when it, you know when somebody's gone over the edge and they're never going to get back no matter what they do and that was a game for me where I thought this is this is the end and it was sad that he, you know people are going to abuse you know you're, when you're at the game people get abuse but I think like Tech or you know to kind of wrap this element of things up Tech or you said earlier Craig I think and people say yeah he's a nice guy whatever we got no affinity with him as a person but you got to it's respect that's it yeah. I think more Sunderland fans the vast majority of Sunderland fans will have a lot of respect for Jack Ross and I think that I hope, I hope he goes away knowing that he's respected by most Sunderland fans in spite of what it's been you know does get said in the heat of the moment and stuff like that because he has done I've said this on the actual pod the, the, the normal pod before he's done he has done good things for the club and hopefully we, we need to go up we do go up the season and hopefully when we get back in the Premier League in a few years' time, he's not forgotten about as somebody who came in and not only steadied the ship, and like you say, we had 12 players, you know, that first day of pre-season when he came in, you know, and he has been back, yeah, financially, but a lot of those players he's brought in have been have been freebies and stuff like that. And Well, that's one thing I wanted to mention. I think some people have been... I've criticised him really harshly for his transfer dealings and I think this is a really old school way of looking at things and I think Paolo Di Canio did many great things wrong at Sunderland Football Club but you couldn't really put his transfer, the transfer business down to him because it wasn't him now I'm not saying Ross doesn't rubber stamp transfers and say yeah I want the player or I don't want the player but it's a very old school idea that Jack Ross is sitting down picking out a player he wants I mean did he choose De Bock for instance I mean, I doubt the I doubt. So I don't think if you're going to criticise Ross for stuff, you can't criticise him specifically for transfers. <clears throat> I think the other thing to make about that point about not being backed or a lot of freebies, everyone signs freebies in this division. Yeah. That's fine. You'd find the right freebies. Yeah. And I'm not he hasn't been backed, by the way. I no, he has been backed. You know, we, the, we, we, but you know. we we do not know the full workings of how transfers work at any football club let alone Sunderland I am sure Jack Ross has a massive say in when, whether a player comes or leaves the club but there are obviously other factors that come into play because we don't have an unlimited sum of money we're in League One and, but I don't think you can totally blame him for if a player's been signed and it turns out they're not very good for instance Charlie White right, he's, he's had a pretty rough time over the sort of just over 12 months that he's been here do you think that Jack Ross knew who Charlie White was when he was managing St Mirren about a month before he signed him I just it, there's more and, to it than yeah, that and it's it, much and, more nuanced and, and than also that. that's a you know going back to you know the the actual appointment of Ross in the first place and we, we're not don't want to be like you know 2020 hindsight and all that kind of thing but when you look at it in reality yes he might have come in at the interview and been like really brilliant in his interview and come across there this guy's going to you're an exciting manager everyone's talking about him he's going to be great or whatever but how much does he actually know about League One football so this time they have to find somebody who knows how, knows how to get out of the division knows the league knows you know 
you know, Stendhal's been obviously mentioned, who's left Barnsley yesterday. Then you've got the emotional appointments, people like Kevin Phillips have been, and, and I guess you, you're definitely going to pile Roy Keane into the emotional appointment thing. That just, that, that, you know, and, and then, yeah, but then also the the other one people have mentioned in that respect is Allardyce, which I think just forget that. Um, Mick Harford is another one who's been sort of mentioned again, Sunderland fan, and obviously got promoted, but you know positive and negative to him obviously he's more of a director of football and he at least he sourced good players you watch Barnsley Barnsley the team they had constructed last season which has been dismantled out of Stendhal's hands to be fair was exact it was like purpose built league one team full of things that we were missing last season and did he sign those players but he obviously knows how to build a team that got us out of it so the problem with that would be: Have we got? We've got no transfer window. Yeah. Have we got the players? We don't necessarily have that Kiefer Moore player, for instance. Um, I think there's a team that can be built out of what we've got that he could manage. I mean, I can see a four-three-three kind of system working there with a midfield three that they could, you know, with the right style implement it could work definitely we've got variety of combinations available to him and I think the midfield was a big part of what he did I do worry about the fullback positions though for uh, replicating what he did at Barnsley mind you the right back at Barnsley I thought was dreadful yeah, so I wasn't a big fan of Cavari I think it was but he was a very different type of player to say yeah. Conor McLaughlin well he was 6 or 4 fast you know a Dark. bit a bit positionally suspect, but well, he, he, I guess recovery, physical, things like that. So I guess the thing that I've thrown thought out to you as well, Mickey, is like you kind of you've got these options. There's plenty there. Surely people will be tempted by Sunderland because we are a massive club, despite the fact of the historic recent history, the sort of issues that we've pointed to. I agree, I think you can write off Allardyce I mean, he's, he's just going to be un- but then it depends about this investment because Stuart, Stuart Donald does refer to it as investment rather than a takeover if money came in, would Allardyce become realistic? Do we think this, this, the investment's going to happen? These I, are the big questions because I, I think you forget Allardyce and you think about Stendhal seems like the obvious kind of option Mick Harford, yeah he got looting out but he was the template was there and he was never going to take it beyond the end of that season. So it wouldn't, he wouldn't be my first choice by any means. Certainly, like, Stendhal seems like a sensible option just because he got Barnsley up last season. I, I agree. You can't be too kind of um, idealistic about it when you're appointing the manager when you're in League One. But I think what would be kind of top of my kind of wish list about appointing any manager would be experience of managing, like, a big club. Yeah. Um, and being successful at the big club so I mean people are suggesting that um, like Nathan Jones perhaps so I'm really glad that Stoke got a win at the weekend it looks like he's going to stay in the job because Nathan Jones he's made that leap to Stoke and I know for a basket case of a club and it remind me a lot of Sunderland in 2017-18 for just waiting for Netflix um, cameras to show up the door I think as we speak but seriously so he's gone to a club which is like a bit bigger than Luton and set up an expectation a lot more pressure and he's kind of shown that he can't really handle it both in results and the kind of mad things he says in the media when things do go against him and things start there it's a bit Howard Wilkinson isn't it like well, it's a, it's, yeah. you know a little bit I mean? yeah. the other thing it makes me think of just to quickly interject and finish your point Mickey was we've had that with Ross we don't need it again 
Yeah. yeah, okay, Jones has had the experience in League One that Ross hadn't, but Ross has had a season yeah. in League One and it isn't working in his second season. I think you're bang on there about the big club thing and I'd like to hear the end of your point actually now that I've interrupted you. But no, I just um, what you're saying, but Jones as well, he didn't start with Luton in League One even, he had that base to build from when um, they were in League Two and he got them out of League Two, then he had the momentum going forward. So as I say, we do. I think it's absolutely imperative that we get someone who has a good track record at a big club, um, whether it's proportionate to the level or what. But we need someone who we can kind of hang our hat on the well, corner and succeed. A, a big club proportionate to level is you're not going to find that because the only ones who've been down there of our size would be Leeds and Man City. And Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, we did have one there. Down, I, I can't remember. But anyway. Can can't. Sack it? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, actually, well, the funny thing is, well, Wolves he would be the natural. No, no, no. Jacket, no, but Jacket is the Neil Warnock of League One. I've said it before. I'm not saying we should go for him, but he's the one who has managed the big club yeah. in League One to get them out of this. Pro- you got Millwall out, didn't he? You got, it, you got Wolves, Wolves out. Wolves out, but it's sort of gone sour at Portsmouth. Yeah. Again, we haven't got the players to sort of play that nasty yeah. style of football that he likes anyway. So. I agree, it's actually, you're looking at, you need to be able to sell somebody the idea of Sunderland yeah. who's maybe managed at a higher level. I think, so they'd, they'd have to, they'd have to, I think they'd have to resign as well. Like, like we're not going to pay a comment. Like, so my sort of, as I said, for a few weeks, I'd be looking at Paul Cook as an option because of his, you know, for the reason I've stated repeatedly that he's got, he's been promoted out of that league twice, um, you know, He's at Wigan at the moment. He's in the last year of his contract, um, so things aren't going great for him at the moment. To be fair, but this and they seem to be turning on him a little bit. So it'll be interesting. This, you know, might be a good time for him to get out. He knows how to get the best out of Will Grigg. So there be the reasons why I'd be looking at him, and and obviously it's an opportunity for him to say, look, you're coming. You've sort of done. You've been at Portsmouth, got promoted. You've been at Wigan, got promoted. Now you've earned your chance to come somewhere like Sunderland. You've shown you can get us out of this league. The teams like us out of this league. Get us out of this league. Get in the championship. We'll back you, and and have a go at like developing yourself. How important would you say like identity is in like selecting the new manager? Because um, there was a lot of chat. I mean, I don't think Chris Shute would come. But if he came in style of football, would be too negative, blah blah blah. But if you could get a manager who would come in, he's a bit like the league one Allardyce who could maybe not play the most exciting football in the world but get us out of this league would you take that at this stage or do you think there's got to be like an attacking identity I think it has to be after so like people might listen to this and go oh, well you're a you're an absolute idiot if you wouldn't take someone like Chris Hute and look at his record I'm telling you now as soon as it goes badly you've got a problem because people will be like it's negative and he is a negative the reason Brighton got rid of him was because it was negative, and as soon as you're not getting the results with negative football, people start. People have got more to complain about. You look at like Norwich's approach in the Premier League this season. They've just gone. This is where we play. We're going to lose some games, like they got beat, you know, five at the weekend. But then conversely, another week they'll win three nil, or three one, or three two. So they're backing themselves and and I think it's easy as a fan to get on board with that I don't want to do the whole like you know I'd rather lose 4-3 than win 1-0 thing um, if I was friends up the road 20 years ago but and I don't want to make it sound like Sunderland fans are precious and like we demand attacking football and we demand goals we demand strikers and all this kind of thing it's it's not that it's just people need to see more than oh well McGeady got us out of the 
Meyer again and, and there's more chance of that happening with a a defensive coach. They need to, somebody needs to come in who's gonna you know, get people excited about going to the game again because I don't think we're I don't think we're into the apathy territory. Um, but it could if we're in this league one again next season, people will be apathetic. Well, without a doubt. I mean, um, you're already at the stage where apathy is sneaking into a certain extent, and like I alluded to on the podcast last week as well, it's not exciting anymore to go to Atkinson Stanley. It's not a novelty. Yeah. It's becoming a little bit of an embarrassment when you turn up with these grounds and you're not being like big-headed about it, but you think like Christ Almighty, we should. This is an FA Cup third round tie. We should not be playing these in the league fixture. Well, I mean, thinking about that with the Lincoln game. It struck me that again, you know we had that record last season where we scored in every game up until Barnsley away, and we were unbeaten until whatever it was, like for ages. And you know those records have not even been close this season. And when we've lost, we've been comprehensively beaten in both of the games that we've lost. I think we've had a discipline issue at the club under Ross as well. I know this is taking the point back to Ross, but. Those red cards. Yeah. Oh right, the 9 one wasn't a red, but the white one was. We've lost our heads. We had what, seven red cards last season, wasn't it? Some of them, some of them were rescinded, but we, yeah. but we were. We had a lot though. But we, yeah, and, and we there had were more in daft games. Yeah, and just stupidity, and I just wonder whether, from a kind of, I don't know, like a, his personality maybe just didn't have enough domination over that dressing room. <laughs> And I know this is totally going back to what we're talking. Just, just a train of thought that I didn't follow up earlier. I think it is relevant, actually. I think, yes, we haven't really got the egos, egos, egos. We're in League One, but there are definitely some personalities to be managed in that dressing room. And I, and I, <laughs> I wonder whether you know, actually doing it in League One is a challenge because you've got to find a manager who will come down to this level and then like you say as a fan base we're over it a bit when it, in terms of going to these grounds but some of the players are used to it this is their level so there's a weird dissonance between what we expect as fans the type of manager we might get and the players and what they're used to so there's a lot of things going on in the melting pot of Sunderland at the moment, isn't there? It's a bit like, you made a good point there, Craig, because the other week, I can't remember, I think it might have actually been after the Bolton game, Chris McGuire turned around, he was quite flippant and said, well, like, we're not robots, we're like we're, we're League One footballers for a reason. And you're kind of thinking, like, yeah, like the size of a club might be, but it's, I think it's quite worrying the players coming out of that mentality when you're at a club like Sunderland, because that should not be an acceptable norm you can go give a performance like you did against Bolton and like you did against Lincoln because that wasn't just a lack of technical football and ability I don't want to sound like Steve Bruce is here, like tactics are a nonsense and all this that and the other and I'm not going to start telling people to dust themselves down and lick the wounds but um, but no but sometimes it is just about um, more than kind of like technical quality and that it is just about like showing that 100% application and backing yourselves and your own ability and having that the ability to get through those games where you don't play so well and come out and win it's not acceptable to have capitulations like we did against Peterborough at Lincoln and the Bolton game was nearly a capitulation in the manner of a game we were very lucky to come away with a point in that game so going forward there needs to be a line in the sand that we are suddenly it's not acceptable to perform like that in any game and I think this this feeds into there's a sort of try and help try and, let's try and wrap it up but, right, well there's a I think there is a little bit of a divide in the fan base around that very subject actually there are those who are like you've got to remember we're in League 1 and we've got League 1 players and 
yes that's true and that's fine and then I think there are people like making the points you and I are making which is but we are not a League One football club we're a top flight football club in League One now there's got to be something in there that bring that if they are League One footballers and who aren't the best League One footballers who are going to get you out of the division then I would say the stature of the club should be that you know when you mention some of the managerial names we've mentioned we should be able to attract those because we should be saleable to them likewise players why haven't we got a few sort of smattering of championship level quality now there are other factors at play there we maybe just can't pay them the money they want because of legacy issues from years of mismanagement blah 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 we've gone over that millions of times but the fact is we should be saleable now would a new manager potentially be that selling point Roy Keane was certainly a selling point to a lot of players when he came in when we were at a very low ebb now I don't think Roy Keane's going to come into this club and I don't think he should but somebody of his ilk who can unite the club and you know not, I'm not talking about just a celebrity manager somebody who it's hard to explain well, it's hard to explain then you're probably straying into like the Kevin Phillips territory and the problem with that is it's a massive gamble I think Phillips isn't, isn't as enough of a profile as someone like King oh no I'm just saying though from a fan like to, to unite the fan base and get right okay from that, perspective, from that perspective I'm talking about somebody who reminds everyone how big a club we are yeah no, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I'm not saying Kevin Phillips isn't a total legend. So like what you've been talking about, maybe if this had been eighty months, ahead. eighty months, two years ago, you would have been talking about Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, someone like that. And like yeah. Lampard, to be fair, has done a good oh, job. He's done a really good job at Chelsea. He's doing pretty well. Yeah. So obviously, Gerrard, I think the top of the league in Scotland. Yeah, that's to be fair. But anyway, it's, yeah. But you don't pick them because of a personality or a name. You pick them because they're a personality and name, and yeah. they can do something, yeah. which they've both been acknowledged as yeah. people who can. Now, I don't know, and it's not my job to know who that person is out there. It hasn't worked for some people. Paul Scholes, for instance, it didn't work for him at Oldham, was it? At Oldham, he went in for a bit or something, yeah? Didn't work for Gary Neville in Spain. But there's got to be somebody who we can have who can be a figurehead for the club and can remind people... Yeah, I think, I think to be say, fair, you know? you know, and try and round it off and go back to your point on Keane, you know, Roy Keane, who not long before he came to Sunderland was regarded as one of the finest footballers in the world and played for the biggest team at that time in the world and he came to Sunderland exactly my point and the things he said about Sunderland and about Alex Ferguson had said about Sunderland about you know, and he's all pre-Poznan pre-Poznan yeah but you know what I mean we were acknowledged and recognised as yeah. a big football club by people who know football, who were on the global stage and were the best at what they did. Yeah. And we are that club still. We're just in the wrong yeah. division. And this isn't. And again, you can go the other way. You can have the young up-and-coming manager, blah blah blah. But if there's someone out there who they can identify as a keen style figure or a Lampard figure or a Gerrard figure, who's willing to come to Sunderland in League One because they're seeing an opportunity to make a name for themselves and they'll back themselves but they also have enough of a name from their footballing career as a selling point to the footballing world that is the perfect chemistry I just don't know who that person is unfortunately well I guess that's the job of the guys at the top at the moment and 
there'll be no doubt developments over the next 48 hours with the shortlist and this person will be linked, that person will be linked. So I think Matthew and Rory are going to be doing something on back end of the week. So obviously you'll have, a, I think, an additional podcast that you probably weren't expecting and, you know, we'll see how things develop and there might be more before, you know, the preview have you, if it's just, uh, Wigan, you go, have so you got, either you got a name in mind to would spring to mind as someone who I don't know recently retired or not not in the mold that you're talking about no nothing no Mickey Shane is any either so you know there if you're listening Stuart Charlie whatever you know get your thinking caps like, on just tweeting some yeah. ideas tweeting some ideas tweet at Sunderland AFC at Wise Wednesday pod at Stuart Donald 3 yeah get get the at Chris Waters at Chris Waters yeah yeah get get them all in send your suggestions Suggestions in, um, and you know if you've got their agents' contact details, <laughs> pass them on as well. LinkedIn, We're all you know one club, our LinkedIn, club. Yeah. Let's let's all pile in and uh, work no, together to find the man. For some names, yeah. you know who's out. Well, there? you know we don't want to end up with just a man, do we? No uh, Yeah, but anyway, thanks for listening. Um, as I say, I think Rory and Matthew will be back later in the week um, with the with an additional pod, um, and and yeah, hopefully we'll have. Somebody in place before the Whitham game, because that's a big game, and Huge you know, game. and you know, we're going into that one with a bit of positivity, a bit of bounce in the step after not a great start of the season. Um, and you know, thanks to Jack for all he did yeah. at the club. I, I think that. everyone would echo that at yeah. Wiseman say I think, and you know, hope hopefully you know he comes back and into the game. And learns from the experience and has positive and has positive things to say about Sunderland. But ultimately, that that era is over now, and we'll be back to discuss who the next man in charge is when he arrives. What manager will we be on as a podcast since 2013? <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's a question for Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll leave that. We'll leave. Yeah, we'll leave that hanging, um, and they can answer that question. But uh, thanks for listening.